For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Apter, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to my big break here on the VOC Nation Network. I am Jerry Strauss, and this is the show where we talk to your favorite wrestling stars about their journeys, their stories, their paths to being, well, your favorite wrestling superstars. We've got a big one this week because uh, we're entering a very unique time in the world of Ring of Honor specifically. We are headed towards one of one of the most surprisingly and unexpectedly anticipated matchups that we have seen in a long, long time, I think, on ROH TV. We're going to talk all about it. In one corner, it's going to be the multiple-time world championship uh, winning Angelina Love and our guest this week is going to be in that other corner. She is uh, certainly someone that we have all kind of been rooting for as we head into this big match. Let's bring her on right now. She is the host with the most of ROH, five feet of concrete. She is Quinn McKay. Hi, Quinn. How are Hi, you? Jay. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so glad to have you here. It, it, there's so much to unpack here, so much to talk about. Yes. Uh, um. Before we even get started, you know, we like to talk about your story. We want to get to know more about your story, as people have been doing over the last few weeks. Um, but I want to kind of just take your temperature right now, because I know as a broadcaster, it's kind of drilled, I'm sure, into your brain, into all of our brains, especially in the pro wrestling world. Your job is to focus on you know, the in-ring superstars, to focus on the talent, to focus on their stories and, you know, their words and their thoughts. Um, and lately, it's kind of been the opposite because all of a sudden, it's all about Quinn McKay. How does that feel for you? Is it weird? Yeah, it's really weird. It's kind of nerve-wracking because you're right. Like, as a really good interviewer and host, you kind of want to fade into the background and help other people tell their stories. So no longer... And I always, like, kind of pride myself in in helping that with like some humor or like letting the audience know like it's okay to laugh here or like this is how you should feel here and i think that that's something that kind of differentiates me between a lot of interviewing styles because it's a little more um i guess charismatic than your typical interviewer would be but sure. having the camera just like completely angled on me and having to talk about my own stories not in the context of how i'm involved with somebody else has been a little nerve-wracking a little, <laughs> Well, I think people are really psyched to learn a little bit more about Quinn McKay. And I think there's different levels of, of people. You know, uh, there's many of you, who, many people who only know your story 
from what they've seen on TV. And, you know, maybe they, uh, you know, much like we've heard from Angelina Love over the weeks, you know, maybe there's a thought that, you know, Quinn McKay, the bow ties, the microphone, that's who you are. Uh, and you don't necessarily have that that background uh, to get into the ring, as you'll be doing this week on ROH TV. Those who know anything about you know differently um, to different extents. But we also know, and you've been very vocal about this in past interviews, you're not really traditionally from that wrestling fan as a kid background. You're not, you haven't always been in a path all your life to the wrestling ring, but you have been involved in so many things from, uh, you know, theater and acting athletics. Um, there's many different sides to you, but what I want to know is going back to childhood, who was the first you? I mean, were you an entertainer? Were you a kid who liked to get physical? What were you like back then? That was, that's actually a really interesting question. This may be my favorite question I've ever been asked in an interview. So nice. me it's all downhill from here, by the way. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I refuse to believe it, Jerry. I refuse. <laughs> um, so as a kid, I, so I grew up in like a really, really small town in the center of the Midwest in Missouri um, okay. called El Dorado Springs. It has a population of maybe like 2,500 people. It's wow. so small, there's not even a Walmart. Um, that's, that's what we're talking about. And I spent a lot of time out at my grandma's farm, about 15 minutes away in Jericho Springs. Lots of um, spring water pop-ups there, I guess. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, but like my mom was always furious with me because like I wouldn't wear jeans. I wanted to wear sundresses and cowboy boots, and I wanted to roll around in the red clay. And so I would change my outfit like three times a day because I was like, I was like rough and tumble, but I was also like a girly girl. So I wanted to wear like my sunflower sundresses while like covered in mud, but also getting several outfit changes throughout the day. Had to be clean for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you know, that kind of thing. But I knew from a really young age that I wanted to be an anthropologist, but I also was consistently involved in like choirs and I started acting when I was in I was approached to start acting a lot, lot, a lot younger than I started acting, and my mom said no, and I value her for that, and I think that, that was probably a really good idea. When you um, say approached, I, what, what kind of opportunities were, were coming for you? <laughs> uh, so, well, we were in maybe Phoenix at the time, and I mm. think she said that, like, the first time that some, like, hotshot agent walked up to her and was like, hey, have you considered enrolling your child in modeling and acting classes she was like no no absolutely not but i was like two years old maybe two right. so i have always been a ham and like drawn attention to myself i guess <laughs> <laughs> and i've just been a mess so most of the first <laughs> the first iteration of quinn mckay was just a mess okay that's that's totally fair but a mess with a lot of wardrobe changes so it balances out wardrobe changes. so that's pretty <laughs> consistent so where did you go from there? Because I, I want to get to where you eventually go. I think it's super fascinating. Um, I, I'm sure you're our first guest who's been involved in roller derby uh, on this show. <laughs> I think uh, Shayna Baszler are like the past roller derby stars. <laughs> I'll tell you, as a kid um, growing up through the 80s and 90s, my knowledge of roller derby is all from the old TV show Roller Games. Oh, so. Yeah. I look back to that and I think of, you know, I think of it like pro wrestling on wheels, essentially. Like I see a lot of similarity. Yeah. yeah. But that's Did you? Not how, 
the game's like actually played at all, like not even a little bit. Okay, so so <laughs> at, at what point did you get involved in, in roller derby then? Well, so I didn't have the traditional trajectory where like I watched wrestling as a kid and always knew I wanted to be a wrestler, but I did watch wrestling as a kid with my brother, okay. who has continued to just introduce me to the coolest things in my life and been like. Uh, my one of my biggest supporters of all time, but he also introduced me to roller derby, not just to wrestling. So he was a uh, a timekeeper or maybe a penalty box timer at the time. He was a non-skating official, so they called him NSOs, and he was doing that, jam timing, that kind of thing. There's a thousand behind-the-scenes roles, just like in wrestling, in roller derby, it takes to make things actually work and to put on a game. Um, lots of people go unseen, unnoticed, and uh, deserve more appreciation. But he got me involved my freshman year of college, and he started hyping me up for it. And with it, had just come out, I think, the summer before I went off to college. So that was also a really big thing. Roller Derby was having like kind of a revival, so it was a lot easier to find a team. They were a lot more accessible. But with it is bank track, and I skated flat track, which is a little more hard-hitting, a little faster-paced. Okay. So, and, and you were a part of that for a long time, right? Like eight years you did eight skating? Eight years, yeah, I skated for eight years. Unbelievable. So what is the trajectory, tra tra uh, man, uh, why do I tackle words I can't say? <laughs> <laughs> the constant battle. Um, trajectory. Um, you know, in professional wrestling, we're familiar with the game. We know that a lot of people get into professional wrestling with the idea of advancing their career, getting signed with a national company and making it their full-time job. What is the path in roller derby? Is there a similar trajectory to that? None. There's no trajectory. Roller derby, um, up to this point, except for a very few small percentage of teams, are pay-to-play. Um, and even the teams wow. that do get some sort of sponsorship or payment, like they're having roller skating companies like comp their skates or their gear or something like that. There is no professional avenue in roller derby, at least not right now. I think it's getting there. And maybe if you give it like another decade, like we can have big roller derby teams again, drawing large crowds that people go see and some teams can actually start paying their athletes. But as of right now, it's like you pay 50 bucks a month. You have to sit in on a league meeting every month. It's skater run by the skaters for the skaters, which can be really cool, but also like you're putting your body on the line just as much as you would be in any other sport. I would even put it up there with the kind of trauma that you put your body through in professional wrestling because it is a full contact sport at high speeds. You're on roller skates. You're on eight wheels. Whenever yeah. you fall, like you're done. You're you're out. Um, I think that maybe we can get there, but right now it's just a lot for not any payoff. And there are like so I played for a WIFTA team. So WIFTA is the Women's Flat Track Roller Derby Association. They're kind of like the governing official body, like the NFL or NHL or something like that. And then there are offshoots for different styles of derby, like OSD and there's USARS. Um, so I skated for a WIFTA team and some of those teams are some of the best in the world, like London Roller Girls, Gotham, uh, Rocky Mountain. Um, there's a lot. <laughs> really good charm city where i live in baltimore they used to be like really amazing they used to be d2 and i think that they've dropped some rankings so sorry i could talk about it at length <laughs> no it's okay no it's all it, it's interesting to kind of see how um obviously you had a passion for it to do it for eight years in that yeah. situation um what kind of 
itches, so to speak, did that scratch for you then? Because you've got physicality now, you're kind of getting down and dirty, um, but also you're acting out, you know, it's being a larger-than-life character out there, so to speak. Um, was that kind of your driving passion in life? I, you know, obviously you were also involved in broadcasting, et cetera, et cetera. Like, were you just for a while content to have all these things on your plate, to be going in all these different directions. Uh, where did you want to kind of go to as time moved on from freshman year of college on? Um, I, mm, another really good question. Oh, man. Um, I think that something that kind of drives me is that balancing act of like juggling different things and trying to be like, the best I can be at everything that I'm doing. I have always spread myself a little bit too thin. I've always bitten off a little bit more than I can chew, but not if you consider the fact that I very rarely fail at anything and that I'm usually very successful. Um, but I think the thing that drew me to roller derby the most was when I was in a transitional period in my life. So I was really looking for a strong group of women I think that I could relate with and and bond with and i really did take that away from roller derby because it is just kind of and there are men's teams and there are co-ed teams but right. roller derby is primarily a women's sport um run and owned and operated mostly by women um yeah. so i was really looking for that kind of sisterly bond and not not quite a sorority because obviously i never joined one in college that's not quite my thing but <laughs> i think i viewed it as sort of the antithesis of a sorority and as someone that is kind of drawn to countercultures that really stuck out to me and was something that I wanted to be a part of. So awesome. yeah, that kind of blended very well into like the music scene that I like to be involved in and the type of people that I was drawn to. Um, and then once I got into broadcast, that was kind of just luck. I was going to school for PR and I happened to ask my buddy who's in my brother's band if he needed an intern at the radio station. And he was like, yes, in fact, I do. And then I did that for three years. So I've kind of just like always lucked into things that people don't often get to do mm. just by like, you know, bumbling my way forward and hoping by, the best. By asking, by asking the question. By, ask, which... yeah, by, by, asking, by asking for the things that I want. And I would encourage people to do that. If there's something that you want, something you want to try, the worst someone can say is no. And I know that for people whose like worst fear is failure, that's like the worst answer you could possibly hear. And it feels like rejection. But trust me, there are worse things, including never doing anything you wanted to do. As an aside, I'm going to do you, uh, uh, I'm going to give an additional point to that. Uh, Earlier in my life, I spent a summer telemarketing. I would encourage anyone to do that for a summer, mm. learn to hear the word no again and again. I truly believe that set me up for just being cool with being rejected. That sounds horrible, but you know what I mean. Like it, yeah. Some <laughs> form of high-pressure sales, at least. I worked at a mall kiosk, and I think that that definitely improved my negotiation skills. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and survival skills, I would and add. <laughs> so, so uh, roller derby, you do it for eight years. Does that come to an end for you um, before you start to head into the pro wrestling space? Or is there a coincidence there? Did you make a conscious transition? I did make a conscious transition. So whenever I ended my roller derby career, what I told my team, I was like, I'm taking a soft retirement. 
my body is like super beat up. Both of my knees are sprained. Like I need to take some time off to kind of recuperate, get my life back together, graduate college. Like I need to just take the next season off. And I'm going to do this thing where I go learn how to take back bumps and run the ropes and just see if I like it. Because when I was in high school, I went to high school in Elder, Missouri, which is where Harley Race's school was at the time. Now it's in Troy, Missouri, I think, which is about four hours away from the original location. But I asked my mom if I could go to pro wrestling school when I was in high school. And she said no. And then I could go once I graduated college and I put myself through wrestling school. So that is what I did. Um, So, yeah, I stepped away from my team and I was like, I'm going to go try out this thing. I'm not saying it's going to be forever. I'm not saying that I'm not going to come back. I just want to see how it goes. And it took off really, really quickly. Um, And I just kind of never, I didn't even have the opportunity to look back and see if that's the decision that I really wanted to make. Did you love it from, you know, the first day, from that first bump, from that first moment in the ring? Did you feel like like it was a, a new home for you? Yeah, I did. And I knew that I would, but I had a really hard time getting to that point because there was no rest. By that point, Harley School had moved to Troy, Missouri. So it was about four and a half hours away from my college town. So even further away. And then the nearest schools of of note were in Chicago. I think Black and Brave had like just, I don't even think Black and Brave had quite started up in Iowa yet. Like this was right before we suddenly had all these schools everywhere that you could go to. And it was this really small school in Arkansas, about an hour and 15 minutes south of where I went to college. And it's in like, it's basically just like a large garage. I wouldn't even call it a warehouse. The ring had, it wasn't a canvas. It was like a vinyl canvas. So once you went on it, which you would, because there was no air conditioning or heating for the summer or winter. So once you got sweaty, you would just slip. It was incredibly dangerous. And um, I went through like three months of talking to this guy back and forth between he would, before he would actually come in and like show me anything because he was like women in wrestling just like they have a tendency to be kind of flaky. I don't want you to come out here and commit your money and then like you decide that you hate it. It's really not for everybody. But finally, like I wore him down enough that he agreed to at least show me how to take bumps. And I was like, okay, cool, fine. So I drove the hour and a half and I gave him my money and I was like, show me how to throw myself the floor. And he did. And I was off. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Now, VOC Nation takes wrestling fans behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Get stories and inside information from people who worked on the other side of the curtain. Follow the VOC Nation Wrestling Network podcast feed and get weekly shows from hosts like Bill After, The Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez, Ken Resnick, The Maestro. Shelly Martinez, Wes Briscoe, and more. Visit VOCNation.com for more information and follow us on Twitter at VOCNation. Your career was relatively short, to my knowledge, before the point where you got into the, uh, you got in front of the eyes of Ring of Honor, so to speak. And I know it all came from a, a seminar that you took with John Gresham. Um, what was your intent going into that seminar? Was it more of an educational thing or were you already thinking about trying to get seen by the right people? No, my school had shut down. Um, oh. It went out of business. And so I was, and I had just gotten to the point where I was wrestling. I'd only had two matches and mm. I decided that I wanted to go to the Gresham seminar because it was like, so it was at St. Louis Anarchy, which is a 
promotion that was sort of partnered with my school before it shut down because the school that I ended up going to was the NWL in Kansas City and they shut that whole promotion down. It was like this whole big to do. It's really interesting. If you hadn't heard about it, you should look into it because it was nuts. <laughs> Drama. But my school, like right as I started to have my very first matches, my school shut down and I didn't have a place to learn anymore. So I was kind of just like signing up for seminars to try to get as much training as I could, which I think is what a lot of kids have to do out in the Midwest when there's not an established school. It's yeah. hard to find ring time. So there are a lot, there's just this like pack of kids that go from seminar to seminar trying to learn as much as they can from people like Jonathan Rush and some of the best wrestlers in the world get you know, flown out for these shows and then they, they host these seminars and I learned a lot, but yeah. I mean, you know, I did something that impressed Fresh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that brought you to the dojo. Was that a, a tryout at the dojo that got you more yeah. directly into their uh, radar? Yeah. It, I got an invite to the dojo. Um, he had me send over like a bio with my resume of like everything that I had done, which at that point was literally nothing, um, with some, um, promo shots and I got invited from there and that was in October, I believe, September, or October. And then I moved out to Baltimore with no job and <laughs> an apartment that I had not seen or picked out. Uh, no money. Living the dream. In December. Yeah. Yikes. Literally just packed up what I could fit in my car and drove across the country. It's like the opening credits to Perfect Strangers, essentially. Mm -hmm. That is... <laughs> Was not signed to Ring of Honor, by the way. Was just invited to train at the dojos. There were no guarantees. And it really wow. is, like, I am a testament to the fact that if you want something, you have to go out there and get it. Because it, while the opportunity was there and I was in front of the right eyes and I got invited, if I hadn't decided to pack up my life and go, I would yeah. not be living the life I have now. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. Um, now, I want to ask you about the timeline of something that I, I didn't realize. I found it really interesting, though. Um, with the amount of experience that you had back in 2018, mm -hmm. you competed in uh, the ECWA, their version of the Super Rate. Uh, they called it Women's Rate. And you won the tournament three matches in one day. How many matches did you have under your belt uh, before that event? That was my eighth, ninth, and tenth match. Wow. Unbelievable. So... What goes through your mind when, you, I mean, is that something that you find out about ahead of time or when you get no. to the building? Oh. <laughs> no, I didn't. I knew that I was going to make it into um, the second round, but nobody told me that I was going to win the entire thing until we were, we were there. And they were like, yeah, well, you have to put together this match, this match, and this match. And I was like, but wait, that's, that's, that's three matches. And the only thing I really had at the time was like a little comeback and a finish, and my finish at the time was an acid drop, which is, I mean, it's a it's a fine finish. It is not the style of wrestling that I have since settled into, so if that's what you're expecting, if you saw that, and that's the type of wrestler you're expecting to see um, in Ring of Honor, you're in for a bit of a rude awakening, and I apologize for that if you were a fan. Um, it's just not me. We all evolve. Um, but no, it was, it was horrifying, and you know what, just a second. Oh boy. This is exciting. What is going to happen here? Oh, wow. Trophy. 
that I have to this day. Holy moly, that thing is gigantic. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we know we know you're five feet of concrete. How tall is that thing? <laughs> oh, it's at least four feet. Like, there's a picture of me holding it, and I have it on my hip like a baby, and it's a good thing. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, but I mean, looking back, was it, I, I mean, I assume you look back with some fondness about that day, as terrifying as it may have been at the time. Yeah. You know, I mostly was so panicked that I blacked most of it out. Like when you show me pictures of it, I'm like, I mean, sure, that could have happened. These pictures say that it did, but I'm not positive. I did have a really good match with um, Zoe Sky, though. And I do remember that, that she was like, I think she was the most veteran person I'd ever put a match together with at that point. Mm -hmm. And it was like night and day to how I put matches together before. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, well, what do you do? And I was like, listen, I don't know. Not much. And she was like, okay, well, here's what we're going to do then. And she was an angel. She was a dream come true. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of my career has been that. It was like, hey, you've only had seven matches. Guess what? You're having three more today and you're going to win the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Has been my whole career. Like, Oh, you think you're going to do this? Guess what? You're the whole host of the show. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you know, that brings me, that brings us back to you finally becoming a full-time part of Ring of Honor now because you've been seen, you're on the Ring of Honor radar. Was there any discussion at any point about let's bring her in as a wrestler or was it always the idea of we need somebody on the broadcast team as an interviewer, et cetera, et cetera, and looking at you from that perspective primarily? Um, I think, honestly, when it comes down to it, like, when I look at it from a business sense, it was a little bit of column A, it was a little bit of column B. I think I was put in the position because they knew that if they needed to go either direction with me, that they could. Yeah. Um, because, like you said, and I have said multiple times, whenever I came into Ring of Honor, I didn't have a ton of experience. Um, I had had, like, a handful of matches, and the majority of the matches in my indie career came after I moved out to the East Coast because there's so many more promotions that I can work with here. And even then, by the time I was on TV, like I said, I think ECW was my last match. So I had 10 matches total in my independent mm -hmm. career by the time I got signed by Ring of Honor. Wow. So I didn't have a ton of experience, but I think I had a lot of uh, potential. And I, at least, <laughs> at least I'm athletic. <laughs> so yeah. we have like, that to build on. But they found out that I, because I was just training to wrestle. I was invited there to be the wrestler. Sure. And then the opportunity came up to try out to be the backstage interviewer. And it wasn't even so much of a tryout as much of like, we want to see if you can do this. And if you don't do well at it, no hard feelings. You know, you're still training to wrestle. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of like knocked it out of the park. And even I was surprised because interviewing while I was a broadcaster was not ever my strong suit. Mm. Um, but being on camera is way more fun than being on a microphone. So I attribute <laughs> to that at least. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, I, I want to ask you because my gut feeling is that if you were in a different time, if you were in a different place in the wrestling, then, you know, we've all heard stories about how wrestling has traditionally been kind of a cutthroat place. Um, especially in eras past, so to speak. I feel like there's a time and a place where, you know, you're an inexperienced wrestler, you come in, all of a sudden you're earning this spot as a broadcaster. All the wrestlers kind of go, hey, why did she get that opportunity? She walked in out of nowhere, now she's on TV. 
and all the all the announcers go, "Why did she get that opportunity? She she wasn't even like a, a wrestling announcer before. She has no experience there." There's always a reason to cut somebody down, but it feels like, and you can see it on social media for you all the time, so much support. Everybody in your corner uh, with everything you do, not just with this upcoming match. Um, Has it always been that way since day one? Have you felt embraced by the Ring of Honor family? Yeah, I've always felt really embraced by the Ring of Honor family, but kind of a caveat to that is that for the first six months that I was interviewing, they had no idea that I was a dojo trainee. Oh. Yeah, they didn't know. Like they thought that I was just a broadcaster that they had found and brought into to backstage interview, and then they found out that I was also training to wrestle, and then they were all very excited about it. So I, I, I love everybody, and I'm really great friends with everybody, and I have all the support in the world. And I want to say that it would have been the same either way, but I do think that I had that in my corner a little bit. That like I didn't come in as this like wrestling trainee that didn't actually have any experience to anything, and I was a really accomplished broadcaster. To my credit, I was number one on middays for I, almost the entire time that I was on the radio. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I've always had like a really strong voice and a strong character and like sense of self. And I think that comes through in the way that I help tell stories. So it was never really questioned. Now, if I hadn't been good at it, it would be a whole different story. Right. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah, you showed and proved from the, from the very beginning. Um, now, I want to ask about Sinclair Broadcasting because we had uh, Alyssa Marino on the show a few a few episodes ago. She talked about the experience that she got uh, as a broadcaster working with a, a promotion like Championship Wrestling from Hollywood and how that kind of premium level TV production really helped enhance her knowledge and enhance her skills and led her to uh, being a part of WWE NXT for a time. Being involved with a TV production with Sinclair, one of the biggest broadcast entities in the in the entire country, how has that been for you as a learning experience? Has that helped to kind of shape you as a broadcaster and up your game in that respect? Yeah, I, I really do. Because I have television broadcast experience now that I, I just didn't have before. Because radio broadcast and television broadcast are night and day. The only similarities is that you're talking into something. Um, (laughs) so it was, um, it was an adjustment. I don't think that I would be as successful as a performer or as well-rounded as a performer if I hadn't been able to kind of like season myself in this role at Ring of Honor, because I think I was introduced to it incrementally enough that I was able to understand more of it, but it definitely has made me better overall in just like, like podcasting interviews and speaking to people just like one-on-one on the street whenever I bump into people and things like that. So I think that being in a television broadcast studio has allowed me to get to a point where if my career in wrestling were to end tomorrow for some horrible reason, I could never wrestle again, or I don't know, for some reason I just fell out as a wrestling broadcaster. I think that I could probably land on my feet in some other form of sports broadcasting role. Awesome. Awesome. Now, of course, we're all about this match coming up this week on ROH TV. You and Angelina love. Um, everyone just loves, you know, this path that has, has gotten to this match. It's, you know, I call it the tale as old as time. It's Rocky. It's Karate Kid. Both one and three, really. Um, it's the it's the underdog uh, versus the more polished, more experienced veteran who believes that they are a shoe in to to dominate and take this thing home. 
I want to draw a different correlation here because we've had conversations on this show as well. Uh, you know, I think back to our very first episode with Candice Michelle and talking about the bias in professional wrestling, both, you know, sometimes from peers, but also a lot from fans, especially on social media, about people who they don't perceive as being from a wrestling background, their worthiness in being in the ring, just automatically biased and criticizing people of that nature, whether they come from modeling or from broadcasting or from from a roller derby, whatever the case may be. Um, so I think in a way, it feels like you are really representing that battle, that debate that happens every single day in professional wrestling. Do you feel that? Like this is more than just the story of Quinn McKay and Angelina Love. This is a story of you going in there and showing that uh, you know, you've made yourself worthy of being in this position on the down low, and now you get to prove it. I, I think that it's it is very bad, yes. Um, this is kind of a complicated question to answer because there are so many moving parts. Because this feud with Angelina has been building for the, the, the last two years. And they knew that was going to happen. Ring of Honor knew, as soon as they put me in this interviewing position, that this was a possibility. And I'm not saying they were banking on it, but I'm saying that they knew that it could happen. Um, Because we're like, honestly, we're just like oil and water. And she's had it out for me since day one. Um, So, yeah, I think other than just finally getting Angelina in in the ring and, and proving that I'm worth my salt and that, you know, I can overcome this huge obstacle in my career. Because, like, what? she's not really a huge obstacle in my career, right? Like, she can't get me fired. She's not going to make it to where I'm not host of the show anymore. As much as she tried to be a backstage interviewer, like, she wasn't as good at my job as she thought that, <laughs> that she was. Not as easy as she thought that it was. So, at the end of this, when I walk away, and if I'm not successful, like, at least I still have everything that I had before. I don't really have anything to lose, at this point like nothing is on the line for me except for the fact that if i win i get a ticket into the championship tournament and that's something that's very important to me and so even bigger than finally getting my hands on angelina and hopefully being able to lay those problems to rest yeah it's about proving that i can hang absolutely and Final question for you. Uh, you know, it's going to be one of two ways. It's fork in the road now for you. Um, if you win this match, you're going to continue on to the tournament, as you said. But regardless, uh, where do you see yourself going from here now? Because you're irre- irrevocably, irreversibly no longer just a broadcaster in Ring of Honor. You are now um, going to be entering a different world. Do you want to continue on that path, win, lose, or draw? Do you want to go back to being you know, the Quinn McKay we all know and love behind the microphone, or do you want to try to maintain both and progress yourself in both directions? It's kind of like overwhelming in general, because like, I feel the weight of the fact that everything is going to change and that this is a match that people have been looking forward to for a very long time. So there's a lot of um, like that at stake. There's a lot of people's feelings at stake. (laughs) (laughs) 
And so if I don't take it like one day at a time and one thing at a time, then I uh, start to have a little bit of a meltdown because it's like too much on your brain at once, like a little bit overstimulation. So I would like to say as someone who consistently has too much on my plate that I would like to consider or continue being a broadcaster and a host and an interviewer and also continue working in the ring. But and is that physically possible? Is that something that someone can do on a full-time schedule? I don't know. So I'm just going to pretend. <laughs> pretend I, I never asked that question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's a lot. So let's just take it one thing at a time and see what happens. Sounds good. And it all starts uh, this coming week, the uh, very next episode of Ring of Honor. Of course, for those not in the know, you can check it out Mondays, 7 p.m. Eastern on Fight TV, Tuesdays at 10 p.m. Eastern in Canada on the Fight Network, Thursdays, 9 p.m. on ROH Best of uh, Best on the Planet, Sundays, 10 p.m. on WatchCharge.com or watch every week on ROHWrestling.com. Am I leaving anything out? They're everywhere. No, we do a Twitter watch party at 7 p.m. Eastern on Mondays, so you can tweet along with hashtag WatchROH. Awesome. Quinn McKay, uh, good luck uh, in your upcoming match. And uh, thank you so much for being on My Big Break. It's been awesome. Thank you. Thank you, and thank you guys for joining us. We will see you next time. Thanks, guys. Bill Apter has been in the pro wrestling business for over 50 years. Hey, talking here with uh, Arn Anderson. Arn, first of all, your height and weight. 61255. And now subscribers to VOC Nation Premium get exclusive access to Bill Apter's archived audio footage. And uh, where's your hometown? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, and uh, give us something about your back. First of all, your relationship to Ole Anderson. Ole is my. Subscription to VOC Nation Premium starts at just $3 a month and includes commercial free audio and video versions of our top podcasts. Okay, we're speaking here with uh, the manager of the World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, Tarzan Tyler and Luke Graham, and he's, uh, he's sort of glowing tonight about a new prospect we haven't heard of yet. And for just $9 a month, Aptor's archives are all yours. Uh, would you tell us who this new prospect is? Well, I'll is? tell you, Bill, I've searched the world, and I finally <laughs> found the true world champion. I finally found... What's your opinion of uh, Ivan Koloff winning the title from Bruno San Martino? Well, I think, uh, I don't know what to say, but I, I want to say one thing. Bruno was an LA champion. Hear exclusive interviews with the greatest performers of all time. This is Bill Apter, and once again, we're speaking here with Bruno San Martino. Bruno, first of all, how did you and Bruiser lose that title to the Valiants? Well, actually, it was a, a, a very unusual loss, if you want to call it a did loss. Did didn't have anything to do Well, yes, but the whole thing is that the rules, as I always understood them, was that you, the title could only be lost by pin or, or submission, which is the same rules as uh, my title, the World War Wrestling Federation. That night, uh, it was... To sign up, it's very simple. Head to premium.vocnation.com or go to patreon.com slash vocnation. VOC Nation takes you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history.